Hey, this is Brendan Gersall from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. The title of our message today is Behold Jesus the Giver. Behold Jesus the Giver. Um, if, you, if you read through the Gospels, you read the accounts of Jesus' life and just that, that short picture we get of Jesus, of his ministry when he was here on earth. And we find that in, the, in those four Gospels at the beginning of the New Testament. Like you, you read through those stories, it's impossible not to come to the conclusion that Jesus is the ultimate giver. That in his very essence, he's a giver. He's the, he's the giver of life. John 3.16, Shay like, led us in that verse this morning at the very top of our service. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he what? Say it. He gave. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. You read through the gospels, we get this picture of a man. We get this picture of a God who gave fully of himself, always gave fully of himself, one of my one of my favorite one of my favorite stories in the Gospels is uh, we oftentimes call it today just the just the woman at the well, really simply, and uh, and, and it said this. You guys, many of you have heard this story before, but it says that now he had to go through Samaria. This is Jesus, and he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his own son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. That's a little bit of Old Testament history for you if you want to dive in. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, as tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon, so it's the hottest hour of the day. It's about noon, and when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had already gone into town to buy food. And then the Samaritan woman said to Jesus, Well, you're a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman, so how can you ask me for a drink. Samaritans and Jews were like oil and water. They didn't mix. They might as well have been uh, sworn enemies. And for a woman to be chatting it up with a man in that day, in that culture, was not a good, was not a good look. And and, uh, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. You see, Jesus desired to give this woman at the well this day the thing that she wanted and desired and craved Above all else, Jesus knew, and they went on to talk and have a conversation, Jesus knew that there was a string of broken relationships in this lady's past, that, that all of those things had been unto her trying to find contentment, her trying to find joy and satisfaction and acceptance in her life. Jesus desired to give her all of those things desperately if she only understood the reality that he was presenting to her. You see, like water from Jacob's well would have quenched her thirst that day, but only living water from the king could have quenched the very longing of her soul. Jesus, church, desires to give us the very longings of our soul, the things that keep us awake at night, the things that that motivate us to do what we do. Jesus desires to meet those needs for us. One very famous example, another one that I love is uh, Jesus with a bunch of kids in the Bible. Isn't it awesome to see Jesus with kids? Check this story out from Matthew chapter Chapter 19, I love this. I just love the, I love the reality of this picture of Jesus. It says that then people brought little children to Jesus. Many of you have heard this story, okay? But that word little is very important here. You picture Jesus, the, the, the king of all the world, the Messiah and the Savior. And people are starting to figure this out and they're coming to hear Jesus teach. And then people start bringing a bunch of little kids to Jesus. Like, I mean, like little kids, like the ones who like still have like peanut butter and jelly all over their face because they didn't wash it when they were done lunch. And they bring, they bring their children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. And the disciples, the well-intended disciples trying to block for Jesus, like Jesus doesn't have time to deal with this, they, 
they rebuked them. But Jesus said, and you guys know this, he said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And when he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. Not until he had placed his hands on all of these children and given of himself to them did Jesus move on. Behold Jesus the giver, church. I mean, there's just countless stories like this if you read through the Gospels. We don't have time to hit them all today, but the feeding of the 5,000, the the places where Jesus literally raised the dead, the places where he healed the sick, the places where he gave sight to the blind. Behold Jesus, our ultimate giver. He gives without limit or condition, doesn't he? Like That's why that's a part of our code here at King's Church, that we're called to be a radically generous people. We serve a God who gives without limit or condition, so it's out of his unending wealth that we give. Jesus doesn't do things halfway. There are no terms and conditions. There is no, there is no fine print. The call is incredibly simple when it comes, when it comes to Jesus. It's to, to choose to stop living for ourselves and start living for him, and he will give us everything that we need. He will provide for all of our needs. He will give us the desires of our heart. But you know, just, like, just, like the woman, just like the woman at the well, sometimes we struggle with this, don't we? Because... You know, we, we think that we can make our own way. We think that we can, we can find our own path to joy and peace and contentment. We can find our own mechanisms to meet those needs. We trust more in our own ability occasionally to find happiness, joy, and peace and satisfaction than in God himself. And that brings us to another story in the scripture that, again, many of us know. We oftentimes just call this one the rich young ruler when we're talking about it. In church, it's another very famous story, but uh, it says in Matthew 19, starting 16, just then a man came to Jesus and asked, teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Like, how do I, how do I get in? And Jesus says, well, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. So if you want to enter life, then keep the commandments. I love 18. Well, he's like, well, which, which ones? Just tell me which ones and I'll do it. And Jesus replied, well, don't kill people, for starters, that'll help. Uh, don't commit adultery, don't steal, uh, don't give false testimony, don't lie. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man says, well, all of these I've done. I've, I've, I've been doing this, I've been living this, Jesus. What is, what is the thing that I lack? What is the concept that I'm not internalizing? What is the thing that I'm not understanding here? Like there's, 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 I've got all the pieces in place save for one. What is the thing that I'm missing? And then Jesus sort of drives it home with him. He answers, if, well, if you want to be perfect, then go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sad because, because he had great wealth. For the young ruler, the rich young ruler, he had much in this life. He had much on earth, and it was a price that was just a bit too steep for him to pay because Jesus is essentially saying here to the rich young ruler, he's essentially saying to us, to his church, will you trust that what I have for you is better than anything that you could build for yourself? And that's a very important question for us to ask and for us to, us to wrestle with. Jesus knew that anyone who wanted to follow him but also wants to do so under their own pretenses and under their own rules and regulations that it's gonna be very, very difficult because you see, Jesus gives everything. Jesus holds 
nothing back. And those of us who desire to follow him are asked to do the exact same thing. Now listen, I don't think he may do that for you specifically if he moves that way in your life. I don't, I'm quite certain that Jesus isn't asking you to go sell every single thing that you own and give it to the poor. But he is asking you to trust that what he has for you is better than what you have for yourself in this life right now. And that's the real question that needs to be wrestled down. That's the real question that the rich young ruler had to wrestle down. And so many of us wrestle with that on a regular basis, don't we? And Jesus is saying, behold, behold me. Behold Jesus as the ultimate, the ultimate giver. And I've got a real treat for you today that's going to help us to really figure this out, church. I came up, I wrestled with this, and I prayed about it, and I asked God to just, just move and download me something really powerful and really radical. So I have a communication tool today that has never been used before in the history of the church. You guys think you can handle that? You think you're, you think you're ready for that? This is going to absolutely blow your mind, and here it is, all right? Check, check this out. It's an acrostic, an acrostic, never been used before by a preacher anywhere that I'm aware of. So we are, we are making history today on October 1st, 2021. You can tell your grandkids about this someday, Charlottetown. We have an acrostic in a sermon, in a sermon today. But what are, what are the characteristics of a giver? If Jesus is our ultimate giver, if we are called as his disciples, just like the woman at the well, just like the parents of the children, just like the disciples, just like the rich young ruler, if we are called to emulate Jesus and following him, if Jesus is the ultimate giver, if Jesus constantly is giving of himself, if he is holding nothing back, then what is it that we are called to do as his followers? What are the characteristics of a real giver? And so, uh, hey, listen, all you furious note takers, I just gave you all the answers right up front. So you can just go ahead and write it all down at once. But I want to work through these five very simple concepts. There is nothing here that is going to melt your mind. There is nothing here that is going to revolutionize your world. But I promise that these things are all 100% true because we're going to base them in Scripture. And I promise that if you lean into them, I promise that if you put these into practice in your life, it is going to change the game for you and how you engage in your relationship with God and how you engage in your relationship with the people that are around you. So let's dive in. The first one, the characteristics of a giver, the G is that givers are generous, all right? This is like the throwaway answer on the exam that everybody is supposed to get right. Like, if you would have had to pick the letter G, you would have picked generous for giving to, am I right? Like, this is, if you get this question wrong in the exam, you're guaranteed you're going to repeat the grade, okay? Like, givers are generous. We know this, right? We talk about this in church all the time. Again, it's part of our code, radical generosity. It's what we believe in as a church. And obviously, when you look at the life of Jesus, you could say, yes, absolutely. He was incredibly generous. No one's going to read the life of Jesus and then go, well, he was pretty stingy, you know? Like, no, absolutely not. Jesus was incredibly generous. He didn't give half-heartedly, and generosity needs to be, must be the marker of someone who follows Jesus. But here's the thing about generosity I want us to hit today, is that this goes far beyond the tangible, okay? Because oftentimes when we think about generosity in our lives, when we think about generosity when the church, when we, when we teach and preach on it even, we're talking about the three T's, right? Time, talent, and treasure. Those are so often the things that we talk about when we think about when we think of generosity and for, for very great reasons, right? These are, these are tangible things that we can give away or that we can donate to a good cause or give away to someone else. Um, you, can give, you can give your time to disciple young kids at King's Youth. You can, you can use your talent to, to sing or to play or to run a camera or to teach a class. You can, you can give your money, your tithes and offerings, your first fruits 
to the church to fund the mission that we're called to. All those things, those three T's, those are all under the umbrella of generosity. And those are all extremely important and valuable. Like, in fact, if those things cease to exist, our church would cease to function. Like, since the, since the conception of the church, the church, the people, the followers of Jesus, the followers of the way have given of their time, talent, and treasure. They are key fundamental building blocks to life built together in kingdom community. However, when we look at the teaching and the life of Jesus, like it goes beyond just tangible giving. It goes beyond that. The kind of generosity that Jesus exemplified and the kind of generosity that Jesus calls us to as a church goes far beyond just the three T's, goes far beyond just the tangible. Because for us in our culture, when we think about giving, when we approach giving, we tend to think transactionally, don't we? Right? Like, there's something here, and I'm going to take that thing, and I'm going to move that into a different column, and I'm going to give that away, I'm going to move it over here. It's, it's a transaction. When we see or hear of a need, we can give a credit card number, we can mail a check, we can drop a cash in a bucket, and we can walk away feeling like we did something. And that's good, because you absolutely can. Even during Love Week, the week in the life of our church that we just celebrated a couple months ago, like, that when we give so much of our time, talent, and treasure away, like in a very radical manner and like across the entire breadth of our church, we do that. And it's an amazing thing and it speaks volumes and we've seen God bless the radical generosity of his people so many times. But it is possible, theoretically, it is possible that someone could write a check for something like Love Week and regardless of the size of the gift, regardless of how many zeros are attached to it, it's possible that someone could give in that manner of their time, talent, and treasure and then walk away ultimately unaffected by it because they gave something that really maybe at the end of the month didn't cost them that much. They gave of their excess. And so, and what Jesus is calling us to do is to, to, to move beyond just the transaction. Like the best way I could think about it is that kingdom giving transcends the transaction, okay? Because when we think of transaction, it's, it's a... It's a it's a, it's, a, it's a movement, it's a lack. Like if I have something here and I give it over here, it creates a deficit on my end, right? Like that's if I'm, gonna, if I'm gonna take what I have and I'm gonna give it away, I am going to have less. But kingdom giving transcends the transaction. What Jesus is calling us to do transcends the transaction. Like when Jesus gave his life for us, he wasn't just donating blood on the cross. He was giving his very life so that we could be reconciled into right relationship with him, it, it's, it's, it's uh, to use a theological term, it's cruciform, it's, it's sacrificial giving, like giving of our very self. Jesus wasn't just concerned about giving, but he was concerned about our willingness to, to, to give up, okay? There's a, another very famous passage of scripture from Philippians 2, and starting in verse 5, the apostle Paul said this, he said, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had, that although he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to, but instead, look at this, he gave up. He gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus being in very nature God gave up his divine privileges for us. 
Like that should just cause us to, that should arrest us for a moment, just cause us to stop and shake our head a little bit. Like this, this is the God that we are called to follow. This is the God that we are called to emulate. He had everything and he gave it all up for us. He gave it all up for the people who nailed him to the cross. Like, isn't that, like that, 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 that's difficult for us to wrap our minds around, isn't it? It's a difficult concept for us to grasp as human beings, but kingdom giving transcends the transaction. Jesus gave it all, and he calls us to do the same. It's radical generosity, not just time, talent, and treasure. Yes, those things, but it moves even deeper beyond that to sacrificial cruciform giving. So that's the G, okay? That is, that is as characteristics of a giver, we are called to be generous. The second one is that we are called to be identified with Christ. The characteristic of a giver is that we are identified with Christ. Of course we're generous, but we're also identified with Christ. Listen, we preach and teach on this all the time here at King's Church. We are citizens of heaven, aren't we? Like, we are not first citizens of a country. We are not first members of a political party. Our primary allegiance is to Jesus, not to a party, and it's not political. It is, it is spiritual. Our vision is incredibly simple at King's Church. It's on earth as in heaven. We desire to see the kingdom of heaven and the economy of heaven invade our world today. We're not in opposition to political parties. We're not in opposition to governments. In fact, we're called to submit to the authorities of the land, just like Jesus' followers were to the Roman Empire, but we're not identified by those things, right? Are you following? Check this out. In uh, Romans, again, the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome, he said, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. That is your identity. The spirit you received doesn't make you slaves so that you will live in fear again. Rather, the spirit that you received brought about by your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's, we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. This, this is our identity, church. This is our primary calling. This is our primary function. The characteristics of a giver is that they are fully identified with Christ. We know who we are and we know whose we are. Amen? Like our identity and our validation is just, just like the woman at the well. It's not found in anything that we can scrounge up in this life. It's not found in, in our work and how, how well we can do with our work and our business and how much of a reputation and a name that we can build for ourselves. It's not even, it's not even found just in our, in our families. It's found in Christ and in Christ alone. Amen? Like that's, like just that, that song the team led us in this morning, like I don't want anything else. I don't need anything else. Like all that I need is Jesus. This is our identity, adopted into his family, sons and daughters of the king. And it's not just about, it's not just about giving of ourselves, but it's about, it's about being willing to give up the same way that he did. Amen? And it's, it's a rub for us sometimes because when it comes to giving up and being fully surrendered to Jesus, like the same way that Jesus the Son was fully surrendered and submitted to God the Father, like we're called to do the exact same thing, but there's, there's a rub that comes, like in our culture and in our world, like our culture tells us that only, only the weak would ever surrender their power, only the weak would ever, would ever willingly surrender their intellect to a, to a higher power or a, or a higher deity, that's just, that's just not how the world 
normally works. And for so many of us, that's a roadblock, isn't it? Because, and I'll be honest too, like, I'll, and we can admit and just have real talk in church. Like when we say, oh, don't, don't, don't think for yourself and just submit to a higher power and empty yourself so the higher power can fill you and work through you. Like that sounds a little bit cultish sometimes, doesn't it? Like if you're, if you're not properly interpreting that, that kind of sounds like how people end up getting murdered and drinking the Kool-Aid a little bit, right? Like it's kind of that same simil, similar vernacular, but that's because someone's taken that and twisted it to mean something completely different. Someone has completely missed the point. That's literally what the word to pervert something means. Just take it and twist it and turn it around. And let's just park there for a second because God created you to be brilliant. God created you with the mind. He didn't ask you not to think. He didn't ask you to formulate thoughts. Like you are literally a biological marvel that was made in the image of God. Like you are a vessel that is designed to carry his very identity and form. You were given a mind to formulate thoughts and ideas, to think critically about the way that the world works. God gave every single one of us that mind. He's certainly not, his existence certainly isn't threatened by the questions that we can conjure up and the questions that we can ask. Like, God doesn't ask anybody to be ignorant or unintelligent or or uninformed. Some of the smartest, the most brilliant minds in all of history are the ones who were able to marry science and theology together. Orthodoxy, which is right belief, and orthopraxy, which is right living, married together and syncing up together perfectly like Jesus gave us, gave you, gave me, gave his church, gave everybody in the world our own free will so that we could make the choice for ourselves. But if we will willingly choose to surrender and follow him. If we'll form our identity in him and say, Jesus, I don't, I don't want or need anything else. It's not my own agenda. It's not what I can build for myself. Like the questions that I have, I can bring those to you. We can wrestle through those together. We can work through those together. I will surrender my intellect and my power, my own sense of self-preservation. I will trust and believe that what you have for me is better than anything I could build for myself in this world. And if we believe that, church, if we believe that our identity is found in Christ and Christ alone, and we know we can trust him, it begins to shift and change the way that we think about ourselves, about our world, and about the people around us. Amen? You with me? Are you with me online? Are you tracking? Put something in the chat if you're still there. So that's the first two. We're generous. Characteristics of a giver, we are identified with Christ. And third, we are vertically oriented, okay? We are vertically oriented. We're getting close here, I promise. Like, when we resist being givers, when we resist giving of ourselves fully sacrificially the way that Jesus did, then we are falling into the scarcity, a scarcity mindset, right? We're afraid to give because we're afraid of what it might cost us. We're living horizontally, right? Remember we talked about that transaction. When we live horizontally oriented, we think, okay, I have this, and for me to take what I have and to give it away the way that Jesus asked us to, that it moves it over here, and now I have a deficit on this end. That's us operating in a horizontal fashion. We're horizontally oriented. What we need, church, is to be vertically oriented. In the Gospel of John, he said the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. The devil preaches scarcity. The devil preaches lack. The devil gets you to operate in the, on the horizontal plane, all right? But Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus came to flip the script. He said, no, no, the way that we are thinking about this, the way that you're, you're approaching your whole life and what you have and your relationship to the people around you, like it's all backwards. It's all wrong. Jesus preaches satisfaction and abundance. It's, it's transaction versus 
transcendence, okay? Are you following what I'm saying? Like when we orient ourselves vertically in line with the king, in line with Jesus, then we're, we're lining ourselves up for this flow of, of, of blessing and provision and things that it's just the way that God designed us the way that he made us to work, the way he, he wants the world to operate. We, we receive from him so that we can give to others and there's no end to his goodness, right? There's, there, there's no way, like it's a, it's a big old funnel and it just, never, it just never stops coming. So it's different than us thinking horizontally and thinking, man, I've got finite resource. I've got finite whatever this is. And when I take it and move it away, I'm creating a deficit on my end. There is no deficit when we're vertically oriented, church. There is no deficit when we're lined up and tapped into the power and the provision of the king. If God is the source of the giving, then it flips the script on anything. If God was faithful to give you what you have in the first place, this thing that you're afraid to give because you're afraid of the lack that it may cause, can you trust that God can give you that and more all over again? Can you trust that he's just gonna continue to be good? Can you trust that he's gonna continue to provide for you the way that he promised you that he would, right? You see what I'm saying? Like this, this, this kind of system that Jesus set up, the way that Jesus gave, the way that Jesus asks us to give and to live is so different. And it's like, it completely flips the script on the way that the world, that the world works. I understand that. But man, when we get there and when we live in that manner, it's so, so rich church and it begins to change, begins to change everything. Okay, so here we go. We're coming down to the, 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 uh, the home stretcher. We're generous Givers are identified with Christ, we're vertically oriented, and then we're also eternally minded. That means that we think with the end in mind as believers. We're playing, we're playing the long game, all right? Nothing in life is ever better when you settle for the short term. Like, if you, if, if you play the short game, like nothing, in, I, I couldn't think of a single example except for ice cream. All right? There's definitely a window of opportunity when it comes to ice cream. And once that melts, you cannot put that back in the freezer. Nobody's falling for that, right? But other than ice cream, I couldn't think of a single thing in the world that is better in the short term than it is in the long term. All right? That there's something about thinking with the end in mind, playing the long game, thinking down the road. God literally, literally spent thousands of years reconciling the world to himself. He made this incredible paradise, this gift to humanity, and then we screwed it up. And God spent thousands of years reconciling the world to himself. He's still doing it. It's still at work. It's still active and happening around us. Check out uh, the words of Apostle Paul again in Galatians chapter 6. Paul said, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. We need to be able as believers, as followers of Jesus, to think more about the next life than we do about this one. And I know it is incredibly simple to say, but it's, it's much more difficult to actually do and live out, isn't it? Because this is here now. It's tangible. It's in front of us. I can, I can touch this. I can see this. And I can feel this. But we need to believe more in what's to come than what is here now. We need to think with the end in mind. We need to think that eternity hangs in the balance, just like the rich young ruler. Like this is exactly what Jesus was trying to communicate to him. 
He's like, you need to think with the end in mind, my friend. You need to start operating on an eternal plane. You're more concerned about the stuff that you have in this life than you are what I have for you in the next. And until you can believe that this is greater than this, then you're never gonna fully understand this picture that I'm trying to set up and communicate to you. And I know it's easy to point fingers at the rich young ruler, but man, we struggle with this, don't we? All the time, we, like what, what would happen if we could prioritize long-term investment over short-term gratification when we opt for transcendence over transaction? I don't know, maybe you, uh, maybe you heard in the news this week that Facebook changed its name to Meta. Did you, did you hear that? Like Mark Zuckerberg's taking all kinds of heat for this and he's becoming meme fodder and, and everything. Like they're, they're getting so woke that they're putting everybody to sleep, I think. But like this, this whole idea of, of meta, like the metaverse. So there's this, there's this alternate reality that, 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 is, that is both virtual and augmented in the physical world. And there's this whole other digital space that we live and exist in as human beings now. And, you know, as, as much fun as we want to make of Mark Zuckerberg, I, I saw that and I was like, man, that's, that's really like Christians, we, we were meta before it was cool to be meta, right? Like we understood that we don't operate just in we don't operate just in the physical. That there is some, there's much, much higher stakes than what is here in front of us right now. That there's a whole other realm that we are beholden to as followers of Jesus. So much more that we are called to. We need to operate in the kingdom economy, not in the physical economy, church. And uh, just to wrap it up here, so we're eternally minded, but then the characteristic of a giver is that they're also a very good and a very effective receiver. Because in order to give, you have to first, you have to first receive, right? And now that we've received so freely and so well and so much from the Father, what is it that we're going to be willing to give? Because if we live selfishly, if we live sort of cut off and distant from the world around us, then we're denying the power of God in our lives. We're denying his power to move and to work through us. Like, his church is the hope of the world. Like we're the ones who are supposed to, to, to live out his mission here on earth. We're the ones who are supposed to be his hands. If he, God wants to give everybody in the world the deepest desires and longings of their heart, and you know how he wants to accomplish that? Through his church, through his people. And that is gonna cost us something. That is gonna take a willingness on our part to give of ourselves the way that Jesus gave of himself. And when we cut ourselves off from that, we're cutting ourselves off from that vertical orientation. We're cutting ourselves off from that cycle, that ebb and that flow of blessing and provision. James, the, uh, the brother of Jesus, maybe we've got it in here twice. Let's see, here we go. James, the brother of Jesus said this, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that way we may be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Like if you've been around church long, we talk about first fruits all the time, right? It's about giving to God first, giving God our best, that the very best we have goes to him before we give it away to anything else. And James, the brother of Jesus, literally said like, like we, his people, like we are his first fruits gift to the world. Like he gave the world his best, their best hope to have what they need is that he wants, he wants people to know him through his church, through you and me, through us. I love that. I love that passage. There's a quote, uh, there's a quote from Billy Graham, which is 
I think is pretty great. Possibly, you know, the, the greatest preacher of all time, most famous anyway. He said this, God's given us two hands, one to receive with and the other, the other to give with. I don't think Billy Graham said receive, but you get what I'm saying? Like that, like what Billy Graham is saying, like we receive with one hand from the Father. It's that vertical, vertical orientation, right? And the other hand is to give it away. There, there's not a point in time when it's supposed to be, if, he, if either one of those hands gets messed up, if either one of those hands stops doing what it's designed to do, then the system starts to break down, right? Because it was never, we were never meant to hoard it for ourselves in the first place. As we receive, we're then designed to give. As we receive, we're then designed to give. And as soon as we block either one of these things and mess them up, then, then the whole system just starts to kind of go sideways. Then we're, then we're in the rich young ruler territory, right? It's impossible for us, church, to be the source that somebody needs. You can't change somebody's life. You can't break the chains of their addiction. You can't save their souls. You can't set them free, but you can receive the power from the one who can. Like you can receive the guidance and the leadership from the one who can and give it away. You, you're not the source. You don't have the potential and the capacity to give within you, but it's in, it's in him. It's within him and we're vertically oriented. He gives it to us. It is impossible to be a giver without receiving from the giver church. You can't do this on your own. I can't do it on my own, but we can do it with him, church. Listen, our calling is incredibly simple, but it is, it is great and it is powerful and it has the ability to change lives. It has the ability to change cities. It has the ability to change countries. It has the ability to change the entire planet when people own it and accept it and live like it's true. When the church understands our true mandate and our true calling. Like, remember John 3.16? It, it just, it encompasses it all. For God so loved the world that he gave. For King's Church so loved the world that they gave of themselves. The things that were most precious to them held nothing back. For God so loved the world that he gave. I think part of the blessing and the favor that's been on, been on this house for so many years, like even as Pastor Brent said, we're looking in the, for the 40 series and we're gonna see some of the incredible things that God has done and look ahead to some of the amazing things that are coming. I think a lot of the blessing that has happened in this house and why God is honoring it is because we've answered the call to be genuine givers. That somewhere along the way, we understood how this all works. We understood what it meant to receive from the king and the whole Billy Graham, two hands two-hand process. Giving, giving isn't just for the rich, church. It's for the redeemed. That's what it comes down to. Like, it's not about your capacity to give. It's about your willingness to be used, to be used by the king. And there's no limit to what you can receive from him. There's no limit when we're properly oriented and we're thinking with the end in mind and we've got the right, proper, healthy perspective. There's no limit on what can happen. I want to uh, leave you with this and then we're going to pray. One of my favorite theologians, A.W. Tozer, he said this, he said, God is, God's looking for a people through whom he can do the impossible. What a pity that we plan only the things that we can do ourselves. And the church loses its power and its potency when we forget whose we are, when we forget what it means to follow the ultimate giver. If we, if we try and do this on our own, just on our own power, I don't know about you, I don't want to be limited by the things that Andy Broad can do. 
I don't want to be limited by the things that I can dream up or that I can scheme up. I want to be willing to bet it all on Jesus. I want to be willing to risk beyond recovery. Like, what would it look like if as the church we embraced the impossible things that Jesus wants to use us to do? What if we thought more about eternity than we did about the life that's in front of us right now? I know God's heart is to reach this world through us, church, that you are his plan A, but it's our choice and how we participate. It's our choice and how we receive so that we may give back. Amen? It's a simple calling, incredibly simple calling to behold Jesus as a giver. And our response is, man, can we, can we give the way that Jesus has given? Let me pray for us. Jesus, we love you today and we thank you for your word. We thank you for your hope. We thank you for your truth. And, and God, I pray today that you would just remind us that this is true. God, that you would remind us that this is the reality, not what we see around us, not what's in our, our bank account, Father, not what's in our physical possession, Father, not even just the time that we have. All of that, Jesus, that our reality is in you, Father. And I pray, God, that we would operate more with heaven in mind than we would with earth in mind. That, Jesus, that you would call us to give the way that you have given. Father, as your church, we want, we want to be used by you, God. We want, to see, we want to see greater things in the next 40 years than we have these last 40, God. And so use us, God. We want to be surrendered fully. God, we don't, want to be, we don't want to be the rich young ruler that had to walk away sad because we had great wealth. God, help us to understand our vertical orientation in you, Father. Every good and perfect gift we have comes from you, Father, and help us to be willing to give of ourselves the way that you have given to us, Jesus. We love you. We thank you that all things are possible with you, Jesus. There is nothing that you call us to that you will not be faithful to provide and meet for us, God. There is no, there is no task too daunting, Father. No, no gift too great that we cannot give with you leading us and going before us. So, Jesus, we love you today. We surrender fully to you. We thank you for your church. We thank you for this gift, and we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.